0: Welcome to the Think Theism Podcast. Welcome to Think Theism. I'm Zach Lawson. I am here with WizKid Andrew Robbins. Hello. We are going to be having an interview today with John Monroe. He is our historian here at Rasher Christie. He's been with us for three years now, and uh, we're going to talk to him a little bit today about some of the thoughts that he has on science and theology. So, welcome, John. Howdy. Thank you for having me. Uh, Like I said, you've been with the organization three years now? Yeah, I think coming on four, I guess.
1: Yep, about to graduate. Super excited for that. And what are you studying? I'm a physics and math double major, and so that gives me a lot of uh, insight into the technical and nitty-gritty details of the fundamental kind of things that we look at in nature. Are you focused
0: in a specific topic or
1: Yeah, so right now I'm doing right now I'm doing astronomy research. So we're looking at galaxies that are very far away and we're looking at how their environment influences how they've
0: evolved or uh, how they got to their current state. Most people would look at you and say you shouldn't be a Christian. There that there's a fundamental disagreement between God and science. Or they say that sure you can be a Christian on Sunday, but for the most part your faith and your science don't really mix. So which which camp do you fit in? Do you think that there is a disagreement between faith and science? There are
1: definitely different uh, regimes each of these fits into. Um, so uh, Christianity or religion in general tries to answer more spiritual questions, tries to answer where we come from, uh, what we should do with our lives, all these sorts of ideas. It explores all these kinds of ideas. But um, on the other hand, science explores the more natural questions like, what's the mass of the electron? Or, you know how does hydrogen form in the early universe? These sorts of uh, scientific questions, or these these sorts of natural questions, and so it's not that they're they're not at all antagonistic to each other, but they just answer sort of different questions. So that doesn't you know in any way preclude one from overlapping with the other. They're just sort of pointed in different directions.
0: Now I I do want to push back just a little bit on on what you had to say there. I think we can agree to a certain extent that uh, religion or Christianity in in particular and astrophysics may not exactly be exploring the same sorts of questions. Nevertheless, the Bible does make a few claims about the universe. For example, that Jesus existed, right? So we can't completely separate them. Exactly, yeah. So I would
1: say definitely that um, even though they're answering different questions and pointed in different directions, um, the sort of implications that each has definitely plays back and and
0: points back to one or the other. Now, I'm going to ask a really controversial question here, and that is that some some people would say that one of the key areas where the Bible and physics overlap would be the beginning of the universe, and that is the age of the universe and all that. So is the earth 6,000 years old? <laughs>
1: <laughs> well, um, I mean, so it's definitely sort of a hard question and one that we should all wrestle through. And definitely the, the sort of cleared reading of Genesis and the the most reasonable um, interpretation of just the biblical facts seems to um, lend itself towards this kind of literal interpretation of you know, being able to, to wind back the genealogies and get 6,000, maybe 10,000 or so, just to use round numbers, these sort of order of magnitude uh, ages of the earth and the universe as a whole. But sort of in my training and how I understand both the biblical data and the scientific data, um, I've sort of come to the conclusion myself that it that it's much older than that that you know order of billions of years you know for the earth and for the universe and then I guess that leads open the question you know
0: what do we actually do with the Bible so that's a more difficult question I think to answer I agree that the universe is extremely ancient but I think that I might be coming at the direction a little bit a little bit differently than than you and it seems to me like what you're saying is that the biblical text seems to say at, at least on the face of it that the earth is six thousand years old and then saying The science is pretty much established, now what do we do with the text? Would that be accurate? Sort of. It's
1: important to recognize that sort of the case that we have in the Bible is not as simple as this is what I read it as, and therefore that's what it is. So we have to really understand where the text comes from, sort of what the historical and cultural context of it was, and sort of what its intention and especially what its genre was.
0: Would you say that it's a good idea to interpret
1: Scripture in light of science? I think it really depends on what kind of issues you're talking about. Mm-hmm. So if there's a lot of ambiguity in some text, in some uh, passage you're reading through, and science has a pretty or apparently pretty well-formulated idea on that topic, um, and that scientific data fits within all of the legitimate interpretations, um, that, yeah, definitely science can and even should inform your decisions or your I opinions see. on that.
0: So in the cases where the Bible seems to be a little bit ambiguous, we can use some of our more scientific conclusions to act as like a weight on a scale to tip one interpretation over, over another. In addition to this principle of interpretation, are there any other areas that you think science and faith intersect or interact or maybe even work together? Yeah, definitely. So the whole
1: sort of idea or the utility of physics is coming up with models and ideas that we can use to describe the world in some convenient way. You know, normally when we go to measure you know, how long it's going to take me to get to work when I drive there in the morning, we don't really have to derive this from quantum field theory. Right? We don't have to go from first principles because we can use simplifying assumptions and work in a bunch of other data that enables us to constrain some kind of principle that we want to work through in, in our daily lives. And so in the same way, it seems to me that we use the biblical data to formulate and create other ideas that help us to interpret sort of the whole, the whole of God's message I see. Would you mind giving an example? Yeah. So for example, the Trinity doesn't really seem to have any kind of explicit description uh, in Scripture,
0: but we come to this idea through interpretations of a lot of different biblical data. So just like in science, we make a series of observations, and then we synthesize them together and find one overarching theory that explains them. Similarly, when we come to Scripture, we read these small pieces of data. We make observations here, 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 and then we come together and, and make one overarching theory is what you're getting at. Exactly, yeah. And
1: then even better, we have this model, and we can go out and test it with more data as we take it in. So maybe come up with some kind of faulty definition of Trinitarianism, and then we you know keep reading and, and keep understanding other, other bits of Scripture, and we understand, oh, actually, you know, maybe that first idea that I had wasn't, wasn't accurate. And so I refine it and come to a better better idea of it.
0: This is a really good example. You can consider other heresies, essentially, or other non-Trinitarian explanations throughout history. For example, modalism, which said that God merely appeared as three different persons, or three different modes, but wasn't three different persons. And then you test that against these different passages, and you say, well, no, that doesn't actually explain Jesus' prayer in John 17. It may explain this set of data, but it may not explain this set of data. Exactly. It seems to me then that Christians would benefit from being scientifically literate. Then,
1: yeah, I would think so. I think, even you know, Christians especially, and then maybe even the general populace as well would be uh, well benefited from understanding, if not the si- if not the science in particular, the scientific methodology as a whole.
0: So, John, you've talked a little bit about how science can inform some of our theological conclusions. Are there any areas where you think it goes the other way around, where our theological or our or our theological conclusions from Scripture will inform some of our scientific beliefs or scientific conclusions?
1: Yeah, definitely. I think there are two main ways that religion can inform our scientific pursuits. So, on the one hand, science doesn't really come equipped to describe what we should study with science and why we should study with science. Uh, but instead, you know, our our desire to understand the world and understand how, uh, you know, perhaps God. Ordered it Or how he developed it into a coherent structure gives us at least a motivation to study it. But then it also informs the more ethical components of it. You know, why should we do this and not that? Or, you know, are we morally permitted to study this question or uh, look into a question this, this or this way? So that's one way. And the second way is that theism, or specifically Christianity, seems to me to offer a very solid ground in justifying our pursuit of science. So it gives us a way that we can uh, use rationality, a reason to trust our ability to reason, and our ability to come to to valid conclusions
0: about how the world works. In other words, that God is upholding the universe in a coherent and consistent way.
1: Right, yeah. And without this kind of structure, we wouldn't really be able to
0: rely on the world or make reasonable predictions in it. Some people, specifically Christians who are in the scientific field, will often say something to the effect of that they leave their faith at the door, that whenever they put their lab coat on, they become an atheist. Do you sort of follow that uh, tact, or are you more of a, of a person who tries to integrate your faith and the science together? Right. Well, as far
1: as methodologies go, um, it, doesn't seem to, it doesn't seem to me that there's really a Christian methodology or an atheist methodology. Really, I'm just writing code, and you know, the code is, is code. It's not well-informed right. <laughs> you know, either way. Uh, But the sort of undergirding reasons and the ideas that I use and um, the reason that I do science and the the questions that I try to answer are certainly well-informed and critically based on my religious beliefs.
0: Continuing on with this theme of the intersection between theism and faith and science, there are some people that have sort of resurrected the old design argument from the days of William Paley. His argument was that you look and you see all these creatures that are so perfectly fine-tuned for their environment that there must have been a designer. Now, while that has sort of fallen out of favor due to evolutionary theory, it's sort of been resurrected in the past 20 years with attention given to the fine-tuning of the universe and the initial conditions. Are are you familiar with this argument? Yeah, I've heard it quite a bit,
1: Um, not so much within the scientific context, but definitely as I've... Uh, explored different apologetics issues and figured out what's in the literature as it were. This is definitely a subject that comes up a lot.
0: For those that aren't familiar, I'll briefly summarize. At the time of the Big Bang or the beginning of the universe, there are certain constants and quantities that sort of prescribe the type of universe that we have. And these to some people are considered to be highly unlikely or highly improbable. John, perhaps you would be a little more apt than I am to describe at least a a couple of these examples. Sure. So some of the examples, um, like
1: Zach mentioned, are the initial conditions. So something like the low entropy state of the universe. A lot of the data that we have points to an increasing uh, entropy in the the universe. Um, And this sort of has an associated arrow of time with it, uh, which is a very strange feature when we look at sort of the fundamental levels of of physics and of our understanding of how the world works, it doesn't seem that there's any one way that time should or shouldn't go. But it seems like you know, certainly we experience some direction of time, so we're, we're wondering sort of where this experience of time comes from and where this direction of time comes from. Um, and specifically, we can link that back to the early conditions of the universe. So, this low entropy state is one of the things that um, a lot of people have pointed at and said, oh, well, if this was a chaotic process, certainly this should be. Certainly, this should have some kind of dynamic range. Um, but if God specifically tuned it to some particular value, that would make it a much that would make it a universe much more
0: apt to bring human life. As I understand it, you're not too keen on this argument. Is, is that correct? That's right. Yeah. Unfortunately,
1: maybe just for my own ignorance, I haven't been able to find a rigorous or a very well developed description of this argument. A lot of the other features that people use can often be explained by um, additional mechanisms that aren't exactly, maybe aren't apparent from a first principle's derivation. So something like the cosmological constant is something that describes the curvature of the universe. Um, so in some strange way, the universe as a whole seems to have some kind of net curvature across it. If anything is not flat, it remains not flat, but it's not flat within like 10 to the negative 52 or something. And so that would imply that there's a lot of fine-tuning just within this small little sliver, you know, 10 to the 52 length. But on an inflationary universe, it's actually en- exponentially damped into this almost flat but not quite flat. And why does, it, why does that matter for me
0: as a human person?
1: So that's sort of another problem is that I don't know. And so the, the conclusion of the fine-tuning argument is that, oh, and thus humans couldn't have formed otherwise. And that sort of connection isn't
0: clear. In addition to the science and faith divide, what other areas of theology or apologetics do you think are worth pursuing, or at least fruitful topics?
1: Yeah, I think something like epistemology or understanding how we come to beliefs or how we justify our knowledge um, is both really important and really interesting. So we can't really have any meaningful discussion if we don't know why we know what we know. So you think it's important that Christians
0: understand what they believe, why they believe that? What do you think are the limits of that, though? There are some people who would say that if and only if you have evidence, can you believe something is true? Well, to be fair, in any epistemology, it's hard to
1: give a full defense when you're trying to justify your foundational beliefs, such as why you, believe what you, why you know what you know. But it seems to me that especially evidentialism falls short on this metric, where you can't really justify your belief in evidentialism with more evidence. you have to sort of assume it before you can
0: use it. I see. So sort of striking a middle ground. On the one hand, you don't want to say that you just have faith to have faith, but you also don't want to say that you can only believe things if and only if you have evidence for it. Maybe sort of tempting for me to believe
1: that I can only believe the things that I have evidence for, but it it seems necessary to have an additional component to any kind of full system of epistemology.
0: Some of these may be, for example, ethics and and morals. Exactly. You can't really have evidence for something being ethical. Just before we wrap up, are there any other sort of just oddball things that you think are kind of interesting? Yeah, well, so especially my studies in astrophysics and cosmology
1: has led me to think a lot about how time works and specifically how God interacts with that time. So there's a lot of different, well, I guess two main ideas about how this works. And my studies in cosmology sort of take me between the two pretty, pretty frequently. Yeah, so some people say that
0: God exists outside of time, uh, sort of statically, and then some people think that God exists everlasting throughout time, uh, but that time sort of progresses. So where do you fall on this? What, what, do you say that there there objectively is a past that no longer exists and a future that has yet to be and only pr- the present Israel? Or do you think that all of time exists sort of, at the same time, but not at the same time. Where Ugh. where would you Where would you fall on that?
1: Yeah, I tend to believe more in a static universe that all exists all at once. So, sort of, you can imagine this four-dimensional space-time block, if you will, mm-hmm. and that sort of we perceive um, the progression of time through this block, and then God sort of exists outside of that and sees the whole whole thing working together. So, in my mind, it helps me resolve a lot of. Are a couple of theological issues, um,
0: but it also seems to take the best
1: representation of the scientific data that we have.
0: I see, and this is primarily a theology podcast, so I'm inclined to to ask, what what are the sort of theological conundrums that you think are solved by a static universe? So,
1: there's a lot of debate on this, but I it, but it seems to inform pretty well. At least my personal defense of evil. Mm. So I can. Uh, so in my mind, if God already has defeated. Uh, evil or, or Satan in the future—it doesn't really mean anything on a on what it's, what's called an A theory of time, where the future doesn't really exist. But if the future exists, and in this point in the future, Satan has been vanquished, then we can say that you know evil indeed has been defeated, or that it maybe will def- will be defeated in our understanding or a reference frame. Yeah. In a certain
0: sense, currently, it is true that evil is defeated. Exactly. We just have yet to perceive the fullness of that. Right. I see. Well, I disagree with you, but I guess that's that's what these discussions are for. That's what makes it fun. <laughs> yeah. Looks like we're about out of time. John, thanks for, for being here and talking with us today. Yeah, thank you. It's been my pleasure. I just want to say this, because John will never say this about himself. He has been with the organization for several years, and he has been a fantastic member. We're all sad to see him Leave, but we're glad to see you go after grad school, right? That where you're headed to? That's right, yeah. I'm going to Washington University in St. Louis. I'm pretty excited about
1: what I'm going to be doing there.
0: As I understand, you are studying English, correct? Right, yeah. yeah. <laughs> Just a
1: total divergence from, from all this physics nonsense. Yeah. <laughs> I'm actually going into quantum computing, so hopefully mm. trying to develop the new, the next generation of computers. Ah,
0: I see. Thanks for being here. Thanks for our audience for listening, and uh, we'll see you next time.